This is the Sasquatch's Monsters of the Clubhouse. Tales of when athletes throw it all away and end up behind bars or worse. Hello and thanks very much for tuning in to Chapter 4, Volume 3, Monsters of the Clubhouse. This is part two of the Duke Lacrosse Scandal. So we left things off, um, starting to look a little bit sus in terms of the case and the credibility of the witness, but I'll pick that back up and we'll end the story. So DNA Security Incorporated, a private company, were engaged by Nifong to perform a second round of DNA testing. They produced an incomplete report which contained an analysis of DNA found on false fingernails discarded by Mangum in the bathroom and concluded that 2% of the male population, including Evans, could not be excluded from a match with the fingernail. DSI director Brian Meehan later testified that pursuant to an agreement between himself and Nihong, he had deliberately withheld information from the lab's report. On May 15, 2006, former team captain and 2006 Duke graduate, Evans became the third player to be indicted on charges of first degree, forcible rape, sexual offence and kidnapping. Just before turning himself in at the Durham County Detention Centre, he made a public statement declaring his innocence and his expectation of being cleared of the charges within weeks. Court documents revealed that Roberts, in her initial statement, had said she was with Mangum the entire evening except for a period of less than five minutes. Additionally, after hearing Mangum claimed she was sexually assaulted, she called her claims a crock. On December 22nd, 2006, Nifong dropped the rape charges against all three lacrosse players after Mangum told an investigator a different version of events and said she was no longer sure about some aspects of her original story. The kidnapping and sexual offence charges were still pending against all three players. On December 28, 2006, the North Carolina Bar filed ethics charges against Nifong over his conduct in a case, accusing him of making public statements that were prejudicial to the administration of justice and heightened public condemnation of the accused and of engaging in conduct including dishonesty, fraud, deceit or misinterpretation. The 17-page document accused Nifong of violating four rules of professional conduct listing more than a hundred examples of statements he made to the media. On January 12, 2007, Nifong sent a letter to North Carolina Attorney General Roy Cooper asking to be taken off the case, citing the responsibility of the case to the Attorney's General Office. The following day, January 13, Cooper announced that his office would take over the case. On January 24, 2007, 
the North Carolina State Bar filed a second round of ethics charges against Nifong for a systematic abuse of prosecutorial discretion that was prejudicial to the administration of justice when he withheld DNA evidence to mislead the court. On March 23rd, 2007, Justin Paul Caulfield, a legal analyst for the sports magazine Inside Lacrosse, stated on Fox News that the charges against Evans, Finity and Siegelman would soon be dropped. While the North Carolina Attorney General's Office first disputed the report, on April 11, 2007, it announced that it had dismissed all charges against the three lacrosse players. Cooper not only dismissed the charges, but took the unusual step of declaring the accused players innocent. Cooper also announced that Mangum would not be prosecuted, stating that investigators and attorneys that had interviewed her thought she may actually believe the many different stories that she's been telling. It's in the best interest of justice not to bring charges. On April 12, 2007, the Attorney General, in declaring Siegelman, Finnerty and Evans innocent, also called Nifong a rogue prosecutor. Almost more interestingly than the case itself, the following. So, firstly, Mike Nifong. On June 16, 2007, the North Carolina State Bar ordered Nifong disbarred after the bar's three-member disciplinary panel unanimously found him guilty of fraud, dishonesty, deceit or misrepresentation of making false statements of material fact before a judge of making false statements of material fact before bar investigators and of lying about withholding exculpatory DNA evidence following the state bar's announcement Nifong submitted a letter of resignation from his post as Durham County's District Attorney that would have become effective in July of 2007 However, on June 18th, Durham Superior Court Judge Orlando Hudson ordered that Nifong be immediately removed from office. On the 31st of August 2007, Nifong was held in criminal contempt of court for knowingly making false statements to the court during the criminal proceedings. Durham Superior Court Judge W. Osmond Smith sentenced Nifong to one day in jail, which he subsequently served. Next, um, unfortunately, this is the story of, of Crystal Mangum. So over the course of the scandal, police reports, media investigators and defence attorneys' motions and press conferences brought to light several key, key inconsistencies in Mangum's story. Lawyers for the Duke lacrosse players had said that Mangum was intoxicated with alcohol and possibly other drugs on the night of the party. By the accuser's own admission to police, she had taken Flexeril and drank one or two large-sized beers before she went to the party. The Attorney General's office later noted that Mangum had taken Ambien, Methadone, Paxil 
an amitriptyline. Although when she began taking these medications is uncertain. She had a long history of mental health problems and suffers from bipolar disorder. She would made a similar claim in the past which she did not pursue. On August 18, 1996, the dancer, then 18 years old, told a police officer in Creedmoor she had been raped by three men in June of 1993, according to a police document. The officer who took the woman's report at the time asked her to write a detailed timeline of the night's event and bring the account back to police. She never returned. The strip club security officer said that Mangum told co-workers four days after the party that she was going to get money from some boys at a juke party who had not paid her, mentioning that the boys were white. Security guard did not make a big deal of it because he felt that no one took her seriously. Mangum was arrested in 2002 for stealing a cab from a strip club where she had been working. She fled police officers on a high speed chase before she was apprehended, at which point her blood alcohol level was more than twice the legal limit. She was sentenced to three weekends in detention. And sadly, in November of 2013, she was found guilty of second degree murder after she stabbed her boyfriend, Reginald Day, who died 10, late, 10 days later. She argued that she acted in self-defense fearing that they would kill her. However, she was sentenced to 14 to 18 years in prison, which she's still serving to this day. And finally, the would-be villains turned victims, the 2006 Duke lacrosse men's team. In January of 2007, lacrosse team member Kyle Dowd filed a lawsuit against Duke University and against a visiting associate professor, a member of the group of 88, Kim Curtis, claiming he and another teammate were given failing grades on the final paper as a form of retaliation after the scandal broke. The case was settled with the terms undisclosed, except that Dowd's grade was altered to a P for past. Professor Houston Baker, who continued to accuse Dowd and the others of being hooligans and rapists, called Dowd's mother the mother of a farm animal after she had emailed him. Duke Provost Peter Lange responded to Baker, criticising Baker for prejudging the team based on race and gender, citing this as a classic tactic of racism. Duke's athletic director at the time, Joe Oliva, was forced, who forced lacrosse coach Mike Presler's resignation, faced criticism for his handling of the case. In 2008, Oliva announced he was leaving Duke for the athletic director position at Louisiana State University. The lacrosse team, reinstated for the 2007 season, reached the NCAA finals as the number one seed. The Blue Level Devils lost to John Hopkins University Blue Jays in the championship 12-11. In May 2007, Duke requested that the NCAA restore a year's eligibility to players on the 2006 men's team, part of whom's season was cancelled. The NCAA granted the team's request 
for another year of eligibility, which applies to the 33 members of 2016 who were underclassmen in 2006 and who remained at Duke in 2007. Four of the seniors from 2006 attended graduate school at Duke in 2007 and played for the team. In 2010, the final year in which the team included fifth-year seniors, freshmen in 2006, Duke won the NCAA lacrosse championship, beating Notre Dame 6-5 in overtime to give the school its first lacrosse championship. On June 7, 2007, it was announced that lacrosse coach Mike Pressler and Duke had reached a financial settlement. Pressler was later hired as coach by Division 2, now Division 1, Bryant University in Rhode Island. In October of 2007, Pressler filed suit seeking to undo the settlement and hold a trial on his wrongful termination claim on the grounds that Duke spokesman John Burness had made disparaging comments about him. After Duke failed an attempt to have the case dismissed, the matter was settled in 2010 with Duke apologising in a press conference but refusing to comment regarding any compensation to Pressler. On August 25th, 2007, multiple sources predicted that the players would file a federal civil rights lawsuit against the city of Durham. In short, they did, and it was settled out of court. And that's the end of the tale of the Duke lacrosse scandal. Potentially, this tale is a is one a bit from left field, and it's probably why it's a bit shorter than normal. Um, lacrosse is not a sport we've ever covered or know much about at the mid-season slump. However, it is a fascinating story of race and class relations in a small city with the void being students who call it home for four years and residents who call it home for a lifetime. This coupled with the political pull that can override a courtroom, I just enjoyed bringing you this story. If you've enjoyed it and want to delve a little bit deeper, it is heavily inspired by the ESPN 30 for 30 Fantastic Lies. This is available on Disney Plus for anyone who's access and I'd recommend it to anyone, sports fan or not. As always, I hope you've enjoyed the story. I'll be back on Monday with the Black Sox scandal. Um, make sure to leave a comment, like, subscribe, review. It helps us all massively. Um, and as always, affiliate links in the podcast description for the Athletic and USA Sports. Sasquatch out.